Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Excited to be with you guys again this morning. If you have your Bible, I hope you do. Go ahead and turn to Colossians 3. So in that great book, I'm going to be in Colossians 3 and uh, in verse 16 here in a few minutes. I'm excited to, to be with you and to study God's word and to dig in uh, yeah, to Colossians 3. Uh, a few years ago, I guess it was about four or five years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to go with my wife's company. My wife, Lauren, works at Beaton Homes and they do vision trips. It's kind of like a mission trip. And we had the opportunity to go to Kenya, Africa and work with uh, an organization called Christian Ministries in Africa. There are about 15 of us. Um, and actually one of the one of the groups that was with our team uh, was the Richies. Some of know the Richies, Carrie and Stephanie, they have three girls. And the Richies were there. They're actually our neighbors. And so it was a lot of fun. We were excited about the trip. And it got even more exciting. Uh, so we flew from uh, here. Uh, well, no, we didn't fly out of Lubbock to Nairobi. That would be a crazy flight. <laughs> but we flew from Dallas, I think, to, to London. And then uh, as we were, I said it got better because as we were in line in London to get on our next flight, to Nairobi, which is a pretty long flight. I think it's, it's between eight and 10 hours. I can't remember. Whatever. That's too long to be on a plane. And so uh, we're in line and uh, God's favor shined down on us because uh, I remember Carrie was at the front of kind of our group. And for some reason, I don't think this ever happens. For some reason, they had extra space in business class. And they were going to upgrade about 10 of our group to business class, which we said, praise be to God, right? Uh, because, uh, see, uh, business class on an international flight is not like when you fly business, which I've never done, when you fly business from Lubbock to Dallas where you have a little more arm space. Business on an international flight, you can lay down, <laughs> which is a game changer. And they come by and the man has like a fancy towel on his arm and he's like, would you like an hors d'oeuvre? And you're like, what did you just say? Like, I don't just get peanuts. Like, what's going on here? Um, it, it was amazing. And so we, man, we did. We, we ate and a lot of our team that got to sit up there. Uh, and then I'm laughing because I don't know if you know, you always feel, when you're in economy, which is what I always fly, they always have that curtain between you and business. You know what I mean? And you just feel like, they just think they're better than us. <laughs> and then the one time I was in business, I was like, I just feel guilty. <laughs> I just feel bad. Anyways, uh, a lot of us, we ate and, and fell asleep. Well, probably about four or five hours into the flight, I need to use the restroom. So I get up and I'm walking towards the front of the restroom, um, where the restroom is. And I see that Katie Ritchie, who goes to church here, uh, known her since middle school. She's like 22 now. And so I, I go up past her and I realize, keep in mind, if we're in business class, you can lay down. She's sitting in her chair, the seat back straight up, and she's just all crumpled up. And I was like, this is a disgrace. Like, <laughs> this is not how you do it in business class. So I, I reach down. I haven't known her for a while. I reach down to hit the in business, it's awesome. There's no lever, it's all electronic. So I reach down to the electronic button to try to flatten her out. And I get about halfway, and then I realize that the man sitting across from her does not know that I know Katie. <laughs> so he looks very, very concerned. So that's one of those moments where you just back away slowly, right? But I remember we landed in Nairobi, and I was like, Katie, 
What is wrong with you? You were graced with first, not first class, sorry. You were graced with business and you missed out. Like you had the opportunity of a lifetime. Like we were joking that uh, when we got to Nairobi, we're like the one time that we don't have to circle the airport, right? Like, can we just get a few more hours of sleep? Anyways, like you had this incredible opportunity and, and you wasted it, you missed out. There are certain expectations when you fly business and one of them is you take advantage of laying down. Um, <laughs> I say all that silliness, though it is a true story, because as a Christian, as a believer, just like in that situation, Katie went from one reality to a much better reality. As a Christian, you go from one reality to a much better reality. That you were dead in your sins, cut off from God because of Jesus, you now have a relationship with God if you've placed your faith in Christ. You have a new reality where he's brought you from death to life. He's given you purpose and hope and forgiveness. And with that new reality, there are some expectations. You could say on one sense, there are some demands in a much more serious sense. There are demands of Christ expects us to live out in this new reality. But even with that, there are certain things that like, if you don't do, if you don't take advantage of, you're missing out. You're, you're not making the most of the moment. So what is it as Christians that we're called to do? If, if we've been raised with Christ, what are Christians to do because they've been raised with Christ? That's really the question that this text answers. How should we live? So we've, in the past couple of weeks, been talking about what we should put off and then put on as believers. Here's what the characteristics of a Christian should be. And this week, it's kind of under that same umbrella of you've been raised with Christ. Here's what your life should look like. But it's a little bit different in that he's talking about the inner life and what we should be doing kind of on the inside and what motivates us. I want to pray for us and then we're going to dive into verse 16. God, we're grateful for your word. And we ask that you would just Maybe block out um, the things in our minds that would distract us, the worries and cares of this world. Now we would hear from you. I want to ask you like we did last week, just to make this your prayer. God, do anything in me you need to do in order to do everything through me you want to do. God, do anything in me you need to do in order to do everything through me you want to do. God, we love you and we ask that you would speak to us during this time. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. If you would join with me in verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I want to go back up and read the beginning of verse 16, just to that first comma. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Here, here's the first point we're going to unpack that we see in the text. We must posture ourselves so the story of Jesus flourishes in our lives. We must posture ourselves so the story of Jesus flourishes in our lives. 
So he says, the word of Christ, that's kind of an interesting phrase. We're used to the, or more familiar with the phrase, let the word of God. He says the word of Christ. The idea here is that it's the, the word, the message that proclaims Christ. If we could use one word to, to sum that up, it's the gospel. Let the gospel dwell in you richly. So that's where I got the story of Jesus. Let the story of Jesus, the gospel, dwell in you richly. Now, really easy question. Where do we learn about and find the gospel? Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Good job. Yeah. Way to go. We have a good children's ministry here. Yes. And good grandparents and parents. We have God's word to show us the gospel, the message that proclaims Christ. He says, let, let the word of Christ, the gospel, which is, again, we find it in God's word, let it dwell in you richly. The word dwell, the idea is there to, to make its home. Let it make its residence in your life. Let it dwell. Let it set up camp in your life. So I'm going to let the word of Christ, God's word, the gospel, dwell, make its home in me richly. So the idea, richly, to go back to that metaphor of, of make its home. So the word of God, the gospel should not be just an occasional house guest in your life. It should not be an occasional, occasional visitor in your life or like that distant relative who shows up maybe once or twice a year and you're like, this is awkward. Why are they here? Like, no, let it just come and be a permanent part of your family in your life. Let it dwell richly in your life. Now it's interesting the word let. How do you let something happen? It's interesting what he's saying to let it, the desire, I know, not the, well yeah, you could say as a desire. The nature of God's word, the nature of the gospel is that it wants to make its home. It wants to flourish in your life. It wants to grow. So to go back to the, the word picture here of, of dwell and making a home, God's word, the gospel, the message of Christ, the story of Jesus does not, I don't know if this is bad to say, it does not want to ding dong ditch, right? It doesn't want to ring the doorbell and then run away. You know what that is? Is that just a Florida thing? I don't know, sorry. <laughs> You're looking at me weird. Okay, it doesn't want to play games where it just like knocks on the door and then run away. No, the word of God, it's nature, the gospel. It wants to come into your life and get cozy and, and dwell with you. That's the nature of what it wants to do. So that's why I, I got the word posture. We must posture ourselves so the story of Jesus flourishes in our lives. Again, that's its nature. It wants to do that. We need to let it. So to give you two kind of examples to picture this, I think they're helpful. I know it's hot as sweat outside, but um, <laughs> like one, one picture would be of a fire. Let's pretend the pulpit is the fire. Um, if this is a fire and I walk by the fire and I complain, man, like, you know, that fire is no good. I do not feel any different. I do not feel warmed. You would say, what is wrong with you? Like, the fire, by its nature, it wants to warm you. It wants to heat you up. You need to posture yourself appropriately so you can receive its warmth, right? The word of God is the same way. If you just brush by the story of Jesus, you, you don't really read the word of God much. You don't let it dwell in you richly. It's silly to complain, man, it's not making a difference in my life. No, it wants to flourish. Are you posturing yourself so it can flourish in your life? So it can dwell in you richly. Maybe a, a more refreshing metaphor. Um, think about a river. 
Uh, I, so I grew up in Florida and there are lots of rivers and it's a common thing to go float the river. We used to always go to the Itchituckney. Weird word, right? The Itchituckney. And we would go, you get an inner tube and you float down these, these clear rivers. Man, it's so fun. I know there are parts of Texas where uh, we do that. Lauren and I have done that, gone and floated the river. You get a tube and you just float in the river. It's so fun. A, nat- uh, a river by its nature is refreshing. You could say it like it desires to bring refreshment. It desires, I know rivers don't have desire, but it desires to move you along, to, to take you someplace. So if you stand on the edge of a river and you're like, you know what, I just, I'm just not getting any refreshment. This is so lame. We would say you're not, you wouldn't literally say it this way, but you would say you're not posturing yourself correctly. You need to get in the river to experience the refreshment. You need to get in the river if it's going to take you somewhere, if it's going to move you somewhere. So it is with the word of God. It wants to bring refreshment. We must simply posture ourselves to receive it. It wants to make a difference. It wants to move you along. It wants to grow you. It wants to take you somewhere. But you have to posture yourself to receive that. Amen. We must posture ourselves so the word of God can flourish in our lives. So the story of Jesus can flourish in our lives. And if you're like, how do you do that? Is there like a certain way you sit in front of the Bible? Like, how do you posture yourself? It's really cool. The Bible tells us the answer. Let's keep reading. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So I think there there are four things I want to unpack here. The first one is, of how we posture ourselves, hear the word. To hear the word of God taught and admonished. So congratulations, good job, you can check one off. Here you are, (laughs) right? You're hearing the word of God right now. If you don't hear the word of God, if you don't engage with your church community to hear the word of God taught and proclaimed, you shouldn't be surprised that you don't sense and experience the word of God dwelling in you richly. You can't vacate the body and then wonder, I don't feel like God's word is dwelling and flourishing in my life. You need to hear the word. I think a second thing that may be a little more true to quite literally what the text is saying is share the word. So we're going to hear the word. We're going to share the word. It says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So quick quiz. Is it... This is not a trick question. Is it only the responsibility of pastors and Sunday school teachers to teach and admonish the flock with the word of God? No. That's why it says teach and admonish one another. Man, I love this. This is such a cool picture. He's saying we are to create a culture as believers where we're sharing and teaching and admonishing the story of Jesus to each other. I'll be honest, that was one thing that was so uh, refreshing and neat to me when I came to Southcrest 10 years ago. It was obvious. I think it's one reason this church continues to flourish and be healthy and grow even in the midst of chaos is this is a church that does this. We're people of the book. It's so refreshing to be part of a body of believers that does this, that shares and admonishes, that teaches. So what does that look like? It means, hey, I want to tell you about what God's doing in my life, what he showed me in scripture. Don't you love it? I love talking with people who I know have read the Bible longer than I've been alive and they read it like it's for the first time. 
Because God's word is, it's funny, it's like it's alive and sharp and active. It is, isn't it? So he says, we're to share it and teach and admonish one another. Not just the pastors, all of us. This next thing, we, you can't do, it's not technically in the text, but I think it's like a given because you can't do number two without this third one. Study the word. Hear the word, share the word, study the word. If you don't study the word, you don't read it, you don't dig into it on your own, then you can't share it. So notice here, there's a, there's a um, corporate aspect and a, you could say a private aspect, a corporate or a communal and an individual aspect. So if we're going to share the word with each other, we have to study the word ourselves. Otherwise, it doesn't do you much good if you're like in Sunday school or you're a small group or you're at coffee and you're like, well, I remember I read the Bible about eight years ago and I remember, <laughs> you're not gonna have much to share. Again, we're to create a culture where individually we're, study, we're studying and digesting and reading the word, and then we can share that with one another. We create this culture by our conversations where the word of God, the story of Jesus flourishes in our life. And just like, and here's what's cool. I just thought about this. Um, hmm. It's not, when we do this, it's not like a water hose that the water just runs through and like, okay, I get to share this with you and I just, I'm just transferring information. It's more like water, man, super cool. It's more like water transforming a tree, right? As the water goes up through the branches, it's, I, I'm, I'm not a scientist, but like, as the nutrients of the water goes through the branches, it transforms those branches, doesn't it? That's what we're to do, to create a culture where as we share the word and pass it along, we're transformed by it. It flourishes in our life. It brings about blooms in our life. Amen. Hear the word, share the word, study the word. This fourth one may be a little unexpected, but it's right here in the text. He says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So here's the fourth thing. We are to sing the word. Where are my choir people at? <laughs> sing the word. He's saying that singing is a massive instrumental part of the, of the word of God, the story of Jesus flourishing, dwelling in your life. You want the word of God, the story of Jesus to flourish, to dwell more richly in your life? You should sing about it. So here, here's what this means. It means that we can't have this attitude that says, well, let's just get this singing over with and let's get on to the word of God, to the message. I, 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 like, I love it. I'm preaching like, this is my, I like gravitate towards studying the word, but singing is a huge part. Singing, it, it helps drive the truths of God's word into your gut. I love what Martin Luther said about this. He said, music is to be praised. He doesn't mean like worshiped, but honored, respected as second only to the word of God because by her, all the emotions are swayed. She is the mistress and the governess of the feelings of the human heart. He's saying music is powerful. And when we, like we just did a few minutes ago, when we sing the truths that are found in God's word, it sways our affections to be more in love with Jesus. Who created music? God did, yeah. So we should enjoy it and embrace it. I love what um, Bob Coughlin, he's the director of Sovereign Grace Music, writes a lot of books on worship. He says, we remember what we sing. And man, if, if you don't agree with that, like think about why do we teach children's rhymes to two-year-olds, right? Because, or even younger than that, 
because it sticks. Though, granted, the two-year-olds sometimes get the song a little wrong, but they get the idea. A, B, G, F. <laughs> we remember what we sing, and nothing is more important to remember than God's word. He says, music-produced feelings will fade, but God's living and active word will continue working in our hearts, renewing our minds, and strengthening our faith. Man, if you thought, man, I don't, the word of God is not dwelling richly, it's not flourishing in my life, maybe you need to sing some more. We endorse singing in the car and singing in the shower. It's okay. And we definitely endorse singing when we're together. And notice this one little, we're almost done with the first point, but notice this little phrase he includes, the end of verse 16, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So he says, you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, posture yourself so the, the story of Jesus flourishes in your life. How are you going to do that? Teach, admonish, sing. And how should you do that? With gratitude in your heart. So if you're like, oh, holy, 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 oh, Lord of mercy. <laughs> kind of missing the boat, right? Not saying you got to be all like that, but like, you, with gratitude in your heart. And I, I just want to maybe encourage some folks. I, I totally get there are seasons where singing with gratitude, sharing the word with gratitude, it's not easy. Right? It's okay to say that. There are times where you're, you're looking at the words you're supposed to be singing on the screen and you're like, I can say those words, but I'm not sure I believe them right now. Or you, or you might say, I certain, excuse me, I certainly don't feel them right now. It's okay to be there. And it's like, what? Just read the Psalms, Lord of mercy. It's like half the Psalms are like that. Of him saying, God, where are you? What's going on? But here's what I think when you find, when you read the Psalms, they're a great example of this. That discipline, doing what's right, even when you don't feel like it, discipline through drudgery often leads to Delight. So when you come in here, when you're getting your Bible out in the morning to study it on your own so you can share it, if you will push through, be disciplined, even when it's drudgery, even when it's not fun, it often leads to delight. I really do believe that. I think we give up too easy, don't we? I wonder if sometimes the word of God is not dwelling richly in our lives because but we just give up. I love what one pastor said. If you'll do the right thing with your hands and with your mouth and with your head, your, your mind, your heart will soon follow. Often when you come to this room, you may not feel like worshiping, you may not feel like studying God's word, but if you'll choose to do that anyways, often your affection for, love, for, for the Lord will soon follow that. We must posture ourselves so the story of Jesus flourishes in our lives. Here's the cool thing. That's the first thing we see in this text. And if we'll do that, the second thing he tells us to do will become a little easier to do. Verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever, all things, do it for Jesus. 
Here's the second thing we see. We must purpose ourselves for the glory of Jesus through our lives. So again, there's kind of a, a culmination of what, of what Paul's been writing in chapter three. And he's like, do these things, put on love, take off hate. Ultimately, here's what I'm saying. He says, do everything, all things, whatever you do, do it for Jesus. We must purpose ourselves for the glory of Jesus through our lives. I love what our old high school pastor, my buddies Garrett used to say, Garrett Gregory, I want to make much of him. I want my life to be lived in a way that makes much of Jesus. That everything I say and do should be done in the reality of who Jesus is and who I am in him. So when he says, whatever, the idea is there should be no compartmentalizing in your life of like, I have this sacred part of my life and I have this secular part of my life. In the Jewish mind, there wasn't that. There wasn't this like, some things are good, some things are, no, it was like, if you are a child of God because he's the creator of all, all things are sacred. I remember one, one of my uh, college professors, he said it this way, and it's silly, but I remember it still. Um, he said, don't be a waffle, be a pancake. And we were like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> what does that even mean? He's like, a waffle is all compartmentalized, right? So you can put the, the syrup in each little square, which I personally really enjoy doing. <laughs> he said, don't be a waffle, be a pancake, right? Let the syrup go everywhere, which I'm like, that's weird, but I like it. <laughs> Don't be a waffle, be a pancake. Don't compartmentalize. Whatever you do, it should be for Jesus. Whatever. That, that includes pretty much everything and excludes just a few things. So like to, as one pastor said in talking about this verse, um, you can't be a car thief for the glory of God, right? You're like, well, I steal cars and before I sell them, I pray that the next person will be blessed by him, right? <laughs> or or you, you can't be a drug dealer. Lord, use these drugs for your glory. Like, no. It excludes a few things, but it includes pretty much everything. So he says, whatever you do, do it for Jesus. Do it for him. So whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a banker, whether you're a trash man, whether you work in a cafeteria, whether you're a pastor, whether you're an assistant, whether you work on a farm, whether you own an accounting firm, whether you're an architectural engineer, whether you want run a media company, whatever you do, do it for the glory of Jesus. Purpose yourself for the glory of Jesus through your life. Don't be alarmed. I don't have a bow, but I do have some sorry, arrows. Shout out Trevor Copeland, appreciate it. Um, here's what we typically do in our lives. We stress over what we're gonna do. We're like, I don't know, man, should, should, I, should I take that job when I graduate college? I, I don't know, or I could, I, what do I do with retirement? Should I, should I still have a part-time job when I retire? I don't know. Or man, should I spend more time with my family? I, I don't know, maybe I should do that. Or my work is struggling, I don't know. Or maybe, maybe I should switch, switch careers. Maybe I should do that. God saying, I'm not so concerned what you do as that why you do it. I'm not as concerned about which arrow you pick. I'm more concerned that whatever arrow you pick, you aim it at the target of the glory of Jesus. I'm more concerned that you aim your life so that it brings honor and fame to Jesus, whatever it is that you do. He's not so worried about the what. He's more so worried about the why. Which leads to the first point of application. Like, how do we do that? How do we aim our life for the glory of Jesus? The first one, 
focus on the who and why over the what. Again, we spend too much time stressing over what we're to do when really God's more concerned with why we do it, who we're doing it for. Focus on the who and why over the what. Along that, those same lines, I love what A.W. Tozer said. It's not what a person does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It's why they do it. Focus on the who and the why over the what. The second thing is come to God with open hands. Come to God with open hands. We had the opportunity this past week to do a, um, make a new video resource for our church uh, on prayer. And so I got to talk, sit and talk with Holly Beatonbow. Some of y'all may know her. She spoke at Fabulous Faith, I think. Not Fabulous Faith. Um, holiday celebration a year or two ago. Anyways, really sweet lady. Her and Rick are awesome, her husband. Um, but got to talk about prayer. And one of the things that I love that Holly talks about in talking about the Christian life is really this phrase. This is where I got it from. Coming to God with open hands. So to realize everything I've been given is from God. So why would I, why would I clinch it anyways? It's all his. And more than that, when you have open hands, you're recognizing God, whatever I do, I want it to be for you. So I'm not going to hold on to anything. It's all yours. I want it to be for you. I want it to bring you glory. So whatever it is you want me to do or how you want me to do it, I know I'm going to do it for you. So here, all my life is yours. You want to begin to purpose yourself for the glory of Jesus? Have open hands with all he has given you. Now, there's one more. This third one, I think, can, can motivate us in a pretty incredible way. It is remember the story. Remember the story. You say, well, which story? <laughs> what is the story that I'm supposed to be remembering? If you would, just flip, in my Bible, it's just one page over. Flip to the left and Look at chapter one of Colossians, verse 13. It says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Amen. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, that is supreme. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on, or excuse me, or in, sorry, I'll try it again. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So that's who Jesus is. He is the creator of all, all things for his glory. He holds all things together. And then it says, verse 21, 
And you, talking to believers, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Why in the world would I want to live my life not for myself, but for the glory of Jesus? It's because of who Jesus is and what he's done for me. Remember the story that Jesus, the creator of all, left heaven's throne to come to this earth to rescue us, though we are wicked and evil and have rejected him and turned our backs on him. He came to save us and he died the death that we deserved. When I remember that, you get caught up in who he is and his story. You begin to want to live for his story. When you realize that he is the author of it all and he wrote himself into the story so you could have a relationship with him. And he's inviting you, he's calling you to join in with his story, to live for a story that's much bigger than yours. To purpose your life for him. So see, in reality, when it comes down to it, you really only, in your life, you really have one single arrow. Your life, you've got one arrow. And you can choose to shoot it for yourself to make much of your glory. But let's be honest, we all, all of our stories, when it comes down to it in comparison with his story, they're all pretty sad and pathetic. And if every, anytime I shoot the arrow for myself, it will be burned up in the flames of eternity. The arrow you shoot for Jesus lasts forever. He's saying the arrow that you shoot, you've got one life. Whatever you do, shoot it for Jesus. He's saying, make it count. Make it count. Don't waste your words and your actions on yourself. Do it for Jesus. He is the only one and his story is the only story worth living for, make it count. Amen. We're going to enter a, a brief time of response. Uh, three questions I want you to consider as our team gets ready to close here in a minute. First question, I'm just really walking through what we saw in the text. Are you posturing yourself you don't have to write these down. I just want you to think about it. Are you posturing yourself so the story of Jesus can flourish? So if you want to go back to that application, are you hearing the word? Are you sharing the word? Are you studying the word? Are you singing the word? Are you posturing yourself so the story of Jesus can flourish? And if not, what, what do you need to change? What do you need to do differently? Again, it's nature is to want to grow and be vibrant and thrive in your life. Are you letting it? The second thing, are you purposing yourself for the glory of Jesus? I would argue, if you find yourself struggling with that, I know I often do, it's, all, it's very easy to make these things about me. But a good way to, to refocus my purpose, is, we just talked about, remember the story, set my eyes on Jesus. The more I get caught up and enraptured, captivated by him, the more I want to make my life about him. How do you need to do that? Are you living for yourself or for Jesus? And the third thing I want us to consider is, has your story been 
changed by Jesus? Has your story been changed? Here's the reality. If you don't know Jesus, you've never gone from death to life, you don't have any option but to shoot these arrows for yourself and they're not gonna go very far. They don't make it real far. But Jesus invites you into a relationship with him. How can that be possible? As messed up and broken as we are, it's because he left heaven's throne, lived a perfect life, died the death that you and I deserve, a sinner's death, a gruesome, violent death, but then showed his victory over death, hell, sin, and the grave by rising three days later. And you can have a relationship with him. You can be cleansed from your sin and walk in newness of life, be able to shoot your arrows, make your arrows count for him if you will simply turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I believe in you and I want you to be in charge of my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And in that moment, he saves you. You can start making your arrow count. And here's the cool thing. If you're here this morning, you're already connected with a body of believers where the word is flourishing. We want to invite you to be part of that. I'm going to give us a moment just to kind of be quiet and still before the Lord um, and consider these things. And then I'll pray for us before we close here in a second. If you would just talk with God and see what he's doing in your life. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you challenge us, how you encourage us, how you convict us, and how you make us more like yourself. And Lord, we ask that the word would continue, that the gospel, the story of Jesus would continue to, to flourish in our lives and here as a body of believers and as individuals. Lord, that we ask We ask that as we go out of this service in just a few moments, that we will be arrows flying out to the world to make a difference for the kingdom. That we would right now in this moment purpose ourselves in whatever we do to make much of you. God, help our arrows to count. May we shoot them for you. May our lives make much of you. It's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.